the first thing I want to say is it is a privilege to um, dedicate children. Not only that, to baptize and to bring people to membership, to marry uh, people together, uh, and also to, um, unfortunately, bury people as well. Death is a part of life. As a pastor, I get those opportunities, and I'm just thankful that uh, Hartley and Melissa, I could be a part of Everly's day today and, uh, and do that. Uh, I also want to say thank you to Stuart. Stuart um, fixed this stage up and made it look nice and pretty. Stuart does a lot of work around here, and I know he doesn't do it for praise, but I just wanted to say thank you to Stuart. Um, today, we're going to be looking back at the... Uh, book of Acts. I've been in the book of Acts. I'll just give a recap for those who are just joining us this week. Maybe you missed out on last week, but Paul has been arrested. So Paul is the missionary uh, who got saved, and he's going he's gonna to share his story here today. He's going to share um, all about his journey, what brought him to this point today, but he's been arrested, and as he's been arrested, he's kind of like arguing with the people around him, hey, just give me a chance to plead my case, right? Like if you were ever arrested uh, in our country, we are thankful for our country, are we not? That we have certain rights and freedoms. And one of your rights is to a fair trial, right? So if you were ever arrested, you'd want a lawyer, you'd want to make that one phone call to make sure that you have your day in court and you get represented well and that someone would defend you. I think that's how it goes from all the TV I've watched. And so I would hope that would be afforded to me if I were ever arrested. And so Paul's like, hey, listen, I'm getting arrested. Give me my opportunity to defend myself, right? I want to defend myself. And it's interesting because Paul's going to share what I would call his testimony, right? And in, in, in a court of law, a witness gives testimony to what they have seen. Now, Maybe you've never been in court. I've been in court a few times just to, to be there for people who I love who had to defend themselves. And, and um, it was interesting, to say the least, because uh, there was no ju jury in, this, in the courtroom I was in. There was just a judge, and he had, uh, he had to give out um, kind of a, uh, a fair ruling on, on a situation that had taken place. And, and I was there just on behalf of the person who was a part of our church at the time and needed kind of a character witness. And the judge actually addressed me and, and said, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm his pastor, and I'm here to say, like, he, he's going to tell you that things are going different in his life now that he's become a believer. And he's trying to make the right steps to change the way he used to live. And, and, uh, and the judge was like, okay, and, uh, and kind of moved on. And The Bible tells us that we all, every one of us, need to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have. It's interesting, um, in, in the book of Job, we see the heavenly realms almost like a courtyard, a, a, a courtroom, sorry, where Satan is... The adversary, he's the one who's the accuser. You ever heard Satan be called the accuser? He's the one who makes a case against you. He's like, I know all those dirty, rotten things you've done. I know how you did this or you did that. I'll, I'll confess it right here. A few years ago, I took 
a hockey net from the campgrounds that we stay because it was just hanging out and I thought I could use that. Nobody's using it. And this week, someone who it belonged to called me up and said, I heard you have my hockey net. Could I have it back? And I felt guilty. I felt guilty for taking that without asking permission. We call that, what do you do? What do you, what do you call that when, yeah, we call that stealing. That's against the God's will. And so I'm returning that. I'm returning that this week. Um, but when we're in those situations where Satan says, hey, you, you dirty, rotten sinner, you've done things that are wrong. Now, I'm just using a small example of my life that can easily be restored. Some of you might feel like you've done much worse. Some of you might have a little self-righteous attitude and say, well, I haven't done that. I'm, I'm, I don't, I've never stolen anything. Pastor, you're worse than me. I don't, I don't know what you've done, but God does. And God doesn't just judge our actions. He judges our hearts. He knows every thought that you've had. He knows every ill intention. And, 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 and here's the reality is, when Satan comes against us and he accuses us for the things we've done, Jesus is actually the one who wants to stand in the gap. Jesus is the one who wants us, who wants to be our defender, our defense attorney. He wants to be our advocate. He wants to stand in the gap for us. But here's what Jesus asks of you. He's like, okay, I'm preparing you for trial, right? You're going to die one day and stand in front of the judge of the entire universe, all right? The Bible tells us this. For every man is appointed to die once. You will all die. And what will happen is the Bible says you'll stand in front of the judge of the universe, the man, uh, the God who created you. And Jesus is willing to stand as your defense lawyer. And the only thing he asks you to do, Jesus is like, all right, I got your back. I'll defend you. I just need you to be a witness. I just need you to be a witness. It's interesting that when in the, in the book of Acts, when it talks about what must a man do to be saved, it says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you got put up on the stand in the trial room, in the courtroom, and you're the witness, and you just sat there and said nothing, are you any good of a witness? No, what is the witness's job? Is to open your mouth and to speak of the things that you have seen. It's that simple. And so Paul has been arrested, and he's like, come on, just give me permission to just say something. In Acts chapter 22, Paul's about to speak, and so I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, who brought up in this city, but, sorry, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, who was thoroughly trained under the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them 
to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So, by the way, this is happening in Jerusalem. So, Paul worked with these people who are putting them on trial. That's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I was once one of you. You want to arrest me? Remember, I was there with you wanting to arrest other people who are now like me, followers of the way. By the way, followers of the way, we know if we were following along through the book of Acts, are Christians. That's what they started being called, followers of the way, the way of Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 6, it says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that has been assigned, you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to me, came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what you are waiting for, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowds listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks, uh, flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, it is legal for you to flog a Roman, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Then the centurion, when the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, you are a Roman citizen? 
Yes, I am, he answered. Then by the command, uh, then the commander said, I pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The commander wanted to fill, find out exactly why Paul had been accused by the Jews. So the next day he released him and ordered the chief priests and the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. I'm going to stop there. Next chapter we'll look at next week. But I find it very interesting that Paul gets out of this situation by claiming to be a Roman citizen. See, Roman citizens had certain rights to a fair trial, similar to us as Canadian citizens have a right to a fair trial. Now, why wouldn't Paul have started with that? See, in the immediate, he gets, uh, in the interim, between him starting what he says and what he finishes with what he says, he gets beaten. He gets a beating, right? And then when he's getting beaten, he finally says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. I deserve a fair trial. He could have started with that. He could have avoided the beating. But what did he start with? He started with his testimony. And within his testimony is the story of God telling him he's going to be a witness. And what is he doing? He's witnessing. He knows that's his primary calling. He knows that's more important than anything else in this life. Um, If you read some of Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives out the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, and he says, go into all, all the worlds and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey my commands. And in the book of Acts, if we at the beginning, it says, and you will be my witnesses, and you will receive power from on high. So whether it be at the end of Matthew or the beginning of Acts, these last words of Jesus are that you, the disciples of Jesus, will be witnesses. Including Paul, yes, but also us. In the book of Revelation, it tells a story of how Christians have to overcome the Antichrist system known as the beast. And it says they will overcome the beast with the words of their testimony. Your testimony has the ability to fight Satan. All right, so I'm going to give you six points about your testimony. Six points. I want you to do your best to try to remember these six points. First point is that you were saved. It's about your past. Now, some of you might be like, well, pastor, how do you know I'm saved? I'm still here figuring this thing out. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Well, listen, maybe you are at a point in your life where you're still developing that part of your testimony, but we believe even in this thing we call prevenient grace. What is that you're saying, prevenient grace? Prevenient grace, think of the word previous or the past. That is the part of your life that was before. Anything in your past, God can use for his glory. There's a certain amount of grace that God gives to all of us 
where he invites us all. Jesus died for the world, John 3.16 tells us. And there's a part of everyone's life where God is working in some way to bring people into the family of God. Just like we did here today with baby Everly, we believe that even though she does not know Jesus yet, that God will be working in her story to one day bring her to a point where she'll have to make a decision about Jesus. And whether you've made that decision or not, I believe that Jesus has been working in your life, calling you out. Even if you've hated God, even if you've rebelled against God, God's, Paul hated Jesus. Paul killed the Christians, and yet God still had a plan for Paul. Why does Paul include in his story that he killed Christians? That's a part of his testimony. You might be like, wow, that doesn't really work if he's going to start telling Christians that he used to kill Christians, right? Like, that doesn't sound like a good testimony. But he uses his past as a part of his testimony. Your past is a part of your testimony. No matter how good, ugly, beautiful it might be, God has a plan for your past. My past, I used to think my testimony wasn't that great because I grew up in the church. I came to a prayer rail like this at the age of five. And I remember, actually, I don't even know if I came to the prayer rail. I just snuck in the back of the church and started praying to God. And I believe at that moment, I was invited into God's family from the age of five. But then I would tell people when they told me about their story of maybe abusing drugs or, or having a very uh, promiscuous lifestyle sexually or, or just uh, being in financial ruins and then God saving them and changing their life. I'm like, oh man, my testimony is nothing like that. And then they're like, well, no, actually your, your testimony is powerful about how God can keep you from doing the wrong things before you ever get to do those wrong things. So never to think that your past is an important part of your testimony, no matter how good or bad it is. Some, for some of you, you might appeal to the, bad, the person who's in a bad place. For some of you, you need to encourage those who are like our children downstairs who are growing up in the church and need to know they don't need to go through bad things in order to follow Jesus. So first, number one is your testimony includes your past. Number two is your testimony includes the, the, the moment you got saved. We have a saying, I was, I was saved and now I am saved and I am being saved. So point number two is that I am saved. There was a moment where you did decide to follow Jesus and you need to include that as a part of your testimony. For Paul, it was when he was blinded, right? He's like, he was blinded, he heard a voice. That moment, he's like, Who am, who's, who's doing this? Who's there? And he knew it was the Lord. He said, who is this Lord? And, it, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In that moment, I believe that Paul was saved because he believed that the Lord was Jesus, that they now were one. Before, he didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. Now he believes that Jesus is Lord. The Bible says that you are saved, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus is saved. For you to have the Holy Spirit, the Bible also says you cannot have the Spirit of God within you um, sorry, I'll rephrase that. If you say that Jesus is Lord, it is evidence that you have the Spirit of God within you. All you have to declare is Jesus is Lord, and you are saved. The Bible says that one day, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Now, I would be, rather be one who is willing to do that before God makes you do that. So, 
second point is your testimony is that moment you're saved. For me, like I said, it was at the back of a church as a five-year-old, not really even knowing what I was doing. You might say, five years old and you, you, you gave your heart to Jesus? Yeah, no clue what I was doing. I was just like, hey, I want to know God. God, will you? And you know what? I believe after that, he never left me because Jesus promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Um, I know there, I've had the privilege as a pastor to lead people to Jesus. And, and um, sometimes we make a big deal about that prayer. Oh, you got to say the sinner's prayer. Like Billy Graham was good at like leading many people to Jesus through saying a prayer. The reality is, is that you just need to believe. I've known other believers who come, came to me and says, I've been, I'm believing, but I haven't told anyone yet, right? And so there is that part where you do have to start telling people, but the first step is that moment that you believe that Jesus is Lord. Point one, point two, point three is I am being saved. I am being saved. This is part of your testimony that one day you will see Jesus face to face. That is a big part of our testimony. Part of our testimony is that God has saved us while we're here on this earth. That's point one, part two. But point three is that one day we will see Jesus face to face in heaven. I've, I've quoted my father-in-law often when it comes to this one, and I'll do it again. Um, heaven is not just pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on your plate while you wait. Right? It's what I mean by that, what he meant by that, teaching me this, is that there is pie in the sky when you die. There is a beautiful place beyond this place. And we look forward to that place. And that should be part of our testimony that one day I will see Jesus. One day I'll enter through those pearly gates. One day I will see, uh, and my Opa and Oma, you guys know, passed away this past year. I'll see my Opa and Oma. I'll see Florence Rogers. I'll see beautiful saints of the past. And I will be so glad to see them, but even more to see my Savior who brought me into the kingdom, my best friend, Jesus, who died for, on the cross for my sins. That is part of my testimony, and it needs to be a part of your testimony that you look forward to heaven. But all, also, it's a wonderful life following Jesus, looking forward to that. That's the hope that we have. So those are the first three points. Your past, the day you got saved, your future hope. But I want you to know that you're your testimony is important because it can lead other people to Jesus. It's interesting in this story, there was no guarantee that people would lead people to Jesus, uh, that Paul would lead anyone to Jesus by sharing what he wanted to share. He knew he had to be a witness and they still beat him for it. Sometimes Paul shares and people come to believe. We've seen that in the book of Acts. Here, nobody's believing, they just beat him. So there's no guarantee that other people will listen to you. But here's what I've learned. I have a friend, he's an apologist. An apologist is someone who makes a defense for the faith. And he says often he'll go and debate, debate sorry, atheists, and, and he's not really even trying to convince the atheist to believe often. It's not about the person he's often talking to. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. Don't you want to con con you know, convince that person and so that they would believe? He's like, of course, that would be wonderful. But often the people he's debating, they're so stuck in their ways, they're just going to defend their point even if they're wrong. They just are, they're not going to be convinced. But who they're trying to win over is the people who are listening around. And so when you share your testimony, share it whether or not you think that person is going to be convinced or not because you have no idea who's going to be listening. 
Often I've seen this where I'm sharing maybe with a couple, a husband and a wife, and, the, the, and the, maybe the husband is like, no, I'm not believing that. But then the wife is listening and is convinced and comes back later and says, well, there's something you said there that stuck out. I mean, part of Hartley and Melissa's testimony when they started coming to this church was Melissa's like, don't invite Hartley to, to the men's group. He's, he's kind of just testing the waters of faith again. He's kind of been distant and hard towards the church. Don't, don't talk to Hartley. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'm not going to be afraid of Hartley, but I'll, I'll, I hear you, Melissa. And, and, but there was some truth to that. As Melissa grew in her faith, there was something that Hartley couldn't help, but he either had to run from God or he had to run to God at some point. And, and when you share your testimony, there's going to be people listening. And they're going to have to make that decision themselves to run to or from God. The other th- point I want to make, so point number five, is that your testimony is good for you. It's good for you. Why? Remember I told you? that there are times where the Satan attacks you and you feel miserable about your faith and maybe you're like, well, am I even saved? Anybody ever wonder? Am I even saved? How am I going through this? I'm struggling so much in my faith. Do I really believe? And that's where your story, your testimony is so important. Yeah, I remember how God spoke to me back then. You might right now be going through a season of life where you don't hear God very well. You're like, God, are you even speaking it? Guess what? Many people in the Bible have gone through moments where they wondered if God was still speaking. Elijah calls fire down from heaven and, 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 and then wanders into the wilderness as, and is depressed and thinking, am I the only one? And God speaks to him out of that. But, but there are moments where we have to remind ourselves of what God has done in our past. We have to tell our testimony to ourselves. If you're discouraged in your faith, remind yourself of how God saved you. What he's brought you through in the past. How you first came to know him. The, 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 the uh, Old Testament King David wrote a beautiful psalm. I think it's Psalm 51 where he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There was once a day you got saved. You might need to be restored that joy of that day you got saved. My final point, point number six is this, is that you need to have a testimony, a strong testimony to ward off the enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. There are times in the scripture where uh, people are in spiritual battles. We've seen this in the book of Acts with the seven sons of Sceva where they started going around and trying to cast out demons and they all got beat up and left naked. And what did the demons say to them? Hey, we've heard of Paul. We've heard of Jesus but who are you? Well, you might end up in a situation where you feel under spiritual attack. I'll be honest with you. This week, I received a phone call from someone. I haven't responded yet because I need to be prayed up about this, where they said they're getting under spiritual attack that's becoming physical. I don't know what that means other than they say they're being scratched and and like some paranormal stuff. Now, some of you might be like, well, that's a little too weird for me, but guess what? Stuff like that is out there, and I'm not afraid of it. And I'll tell you why I'm not afraid of it, because I do have a testimony. Because I believe if the enemy came at me and said, hey, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? I'd say, I'm a son of God 
saved by the grace of Jesus when he died on the cross for my sins. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, and therefore I come against you, Satan. Get out of here. And if you know how to do that, you can ward off any person or any spiritual oppression that might be against you. So this person who called me once knew me at my previous church, but just came, came and went from time to time. So obviously she never got this knowledge that I'm passing on to you today, that you need a testimony so you can fight any spiritual oppression. Some of you might be like, well, I've never seen anything paranormal or stuff like that. You know why you probably haven't? Because the devil knows not to mess with you. And some of you are under it and you don't even know you're under it. You're probably getting messed with because you're a threat to the enemy and you need to learn to share your testimony. You know when the devil will start leaving you alone a little bit more? When you start stamping on them, stomping on them. You know how you stop on them? You start sharing your testimony. He'd rather keep you comfortable as not a threat. You know, if you're watching TV at night rather than sharing the gospel with people, he'd rather keep you there, leave you alone there, right? So he won't be a threat. But if you, I'm, I'm honest with you, if you feel like you're under attack, fight back. Start sharing your testimony. I'm going to review my six points here. First, what part of your testimony is your past. Don't. Don't be ashamed of your past. Don't forget your past. Point number two, remember the day you were saved. Remember that you are saved. Point number three, you have a hope of heaven. One day you will be completely saved, glorified in heaven. Point number four, your testimonies for those around you to hear. Maybe the person you're speaking to, maybe someone who you don't even know you're speaking to. Share it anyways. Point number four, your testimony is for you to remind you of how you were saved, to encourage you in your faith. Keep telling yourself your testimony. Build your testimony. Remind yourself of your testimony. Write down some memoirs if you need to, to remind yourself. And point number six, your testimony helps you fight a spiritual battle so that you can overcome the evil one. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would be your witnesses. That we would learn to be a part of your story by telling our story. Lord, we thank you for the Apostle Paul who gives us an example of how to do that even in the face of being beaten. Help us to have that boldness, that courage to not be ashamed of the gospel, to share with others what you've done in our hearts. Lord, build us up. Build that story in our hearts and in our minds. Help us to wage war against the enemy. Help us to win other people to you. Help us to not be ashamed of our past, but help us to look forward to that day where we will see you face to face. We thank you. Each one of us thank you, Jesus, for saving us and for giving us a testimony. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.